In the song, God Help the Outcast, Gypsy Esmeralda sings to God, I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you, still I see your face and wonder. Were you once an outcast too? To the church establishment of the day, Jesus was often considered an outcast. So how do we treat those who are not like what we think is our norm? Are we so caught up in the cultural wars instigated by the political? Or are we faithful to the example of Jesus, who chose to dine with the publican, visit with the Samaritan, and touch a leper, so each could know that there are no outcasts in the eyes of him? Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. Sabbath School U, a weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. I'm Brendan Albury and this is Sabbath School University. It's great to be back. I see that we have some wonderful participants today for the discussion. I want to ask you to tell me your name and possibly your favorite dish. I like to do that. So we can start with you. Okay, my name is Guillermo Borda, and I would say my favorite food is rice. I enjoy to use rice to combine with different foods, and I really enjoy it. Excellent, excellent. My name is Karajan Siren Thomas, and I love Turkish food and Thai food, but especially this Turkish dish that's called bottom of the barrel. It's like cream and like um, caramelized top. It's really good. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That sounded pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> my name's Ty Davis, and uh, even though that sounds really good, my favorite food is uh, probably Mexican food. I really <laughs> like the spiciness of Mexican food. Awesome. Quesadillas, some burritos. Exactly. It's wonderful. Did you have some fire insurance, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, guys, uh, not to take away the food, I hope you have your appetites ready. <laughs> uh, but uh, before we begin, because we want to get into this food and just, you know, talk and dialogue with this discussion, I'm going to ask uh, Karajan to, sure. to pray for us. Sure. Wonderful. Okay, let's bow our heads. All right. Allah Teshakir Adaram. God bless us this day. Amen. 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 <sighs> Guys, what a discussion today. I've been going over the, the lesson, the discussion, and there's one thing that stands out. Hmm. Outcasts. Hmm. Have you ever felt like an outcast? How did you handle that? Hmm. Anyone? <laughs> I think that anybody who's been through their teenage years has at some point oh, in time yeah. or another <laughs> felt like an outcast. I know uh, throughout, uh, well, grade school and high school, I had my share of opportunities and probably a lot of them I kind of brought upon myself in some way hmm. or another. Hmm. But uh, you deal with it different ways, different times. Okay. It depends on how it goes. Excellent. Anyone I else? I think that people are aiming to make you an outcast in this day. I felt like an outcast when I was in high school. I went to a public school. Mm -hmm. Nobody was Adventist. I'm Adventist. Yeah. And it was nice, the experience, but I just felt alone. You know, yeah. it's hard to be Adventist in a public school. Wow. Very hard. Wow. No Adventist whatsoever. 800 people. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, sometimes it is different. Uh, it is difficult to be different. Uh, but I think one thing that helps, one way to deal with it, is to have a good self-esteem and yeah, for me the best true. way to have a good self-esteem is to have your identity rooted in God mm -hmm. yeah. because when you see that you were created in his image there's 
no other thing that can give you a greater sense of, of value and, and how you're worthy in the eyes of God. So I think that helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. All of you guys gave great responses. And I think about it, being an outcast or a black sheep, it doesn't necessarily just have to be schooled. Even sometimes in your family, you feel you know, hmm. like the black sheep or the outcast of the family. Maybe you may not excel as well with your grades, mm. or you may right. not as be as tall, or you can't play as well as the other guy on the basketball <laughs> team. I think we all had our share of being an outcast, mm -hmm. but you know what? God is good. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you guys, what are examples in the local church of outcast or outsidedness? Well, I would say that some, some of the kinds of people that feel like outcasts in churches are well one one example is the poor the poor people sometimes they go to the church and they see other people who are not poor mm. they kind of uh, see that distinction and unfortunately many times christian principles are not practiced inside christian churches mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and these people feel like outcasts when they shouldn't feel like that yeah. but there's mm -hmm. also um, this segregation based on how you look the way you look on your appearance if you're beautiful or not, if you have fancy clothes or not, or if you have any kind of physical condition, mm -hmm. any disease or anything that makes you different. But concerning Christianity, like in religion itself, there's also those two stigmas. I think it is the sinner and the faithful. Mm. It may sound weird, but sometimes the people who try to be faithful to God, they feel like outcasts, even mm. in the church. Yeah. It's not only the sinner, quotation marks, uh, but also the tr people who try to be faithful. So I think that in, in any part of the world and uh, in, in any part of the country that you may live, I think you may experience this experience of being an outcast. Yeah. But still, again, your self-worth uh, is based in God and, yeah. and not in what people say or think about you. That's a great point. So when you think about uh, the story of the woman at the well in mm -hmm. John 4, you know, she was perceived to be an outcast. As a matter of fact, can we turn to John chapter 4? Sure. Uh, someone, please read verse 28 to 30. Whatever version you have is fine. Uh, I, I really want to bring into play the story of the woman at the well. Woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, when we look at John chapter 4, uh, many individuals are not familiar with the story, but there's one thing about the story that stands out. She was considered an outcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was a Samaritan woman. And it's amazing, in the eyes of many, not only was she a Samaritan, but she did many things that conflicted what the Christian church would consider to be uh, not of uh, their expectations mm -hmm. or adheres to the law. So I want to ask you another question. What are perceived as outcasts in today's society based on Christian standards? Well, like Guillermo said earlier, I think a lot of people who don't follow the Christian, there are Christian standards, unfortunately, that we as humans have made and not necessarily what God has made. Hmm. And people feel, um, some people who don't go to church, that's a big thing. A lot of people uh, go to church and some people don't go to church. And that's a problem that people force on people. Like, you're not coming to church, so I'm going to make you an outcast just because I haven't seen you. Everybody has experienced that one person that you see that is not consistently at church, but you know them as a person. And then everybody, especially the elders in church and the deacons, deaconesses, like in my personal church, 
I had a problem with the fact that there would be sort of um, hierarchy, mm -hmm. like the elders and the deacons would put people on blast who were not coming to church, and that was not right. And they would feel like outcasts. And that's not a Christian standard. Yeah. I don't think that is. I think that's a man-made one. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. I think that, let's go to the book of James, mm -hmm. uh, James chapter um, 5, James chapter 5. James. In the book of James chapter 5, there's a, a great counsel on how in the church we should deal with people who are feeling like outcasts. In this example here, it's focused on people who are wandering away. Uh, they are either... Um, leaving the church, they are in sin, but I think we can apply that for other kinds of situations as well. So John chapter, uh, James, sorry, James chapter, chapter 5 and verses 19 to 20, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth mm. and someone turns him back, you see, someone turns him back, so somebody went away, but somebody went after him to bring him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Mm. So it even presents like that God will give you a reward. Yes. You are bringing his child back. Yes. So we shouldn't just leave people. We should go after them. We should go after the, the one sheep that went away and not just ignore mm -hmm. or some people even curse other people. We should go after them with love. Hmm. And love is what's missing. That's the problem. People don't express love to one another and that's what leads to the outcasts hmm. Hmm. wow something simple like wearing of jewelry um even though perceived to be accepted in different cultural or so, uh, social political settings mm -hmm. i mean that is not a reason to consider someone an outcast i mean if they're looking for christ mm -hmm. isn't it pertinent that every individual seek christ isn't it more important to, for the transformation of heart and not the external display. Because so many would be focused or consider that trying to tra change or transform the outside is more critical than transformation of the inside wholeheartedly, you know, being pure, mm -hmm. you know, giving your heart to Christ. And, you know, it's amazing. A lot of the individuals that consider themselves outcast or not accepted to the norm Sometimes they are in the contrite spirit and they too are part of what we could call the invisible church because they still have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. They have still found a way to develop a, a personal relationship with Christ despite what the norm deems as the, the necessary practice or, or, or I would say cultural, uh, uh, political uh, a routine or ritual needed for whether it's in church, whether it's in government, whatever you want to call it. But we are no one to judge another. You know, it's, it's all about the heart. It's really all about the heart. And it brings me to a, another point because it's crucial. How can the church maintain the high standards of the law while nurturing the climate of forgiveness and genuine kindness? I think that the reason why we have this idea of outcasts around us is because we see somebody doing something that we aren't doing or being something or being a certain way that we aren't and that makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why that person becomes an outcast. It's really, it's really self selfish. It's, mm -hmm. it's about, well, look at how good I am because I'm not yeah. doing that thing. And I think Paul um, 
really hammers that pretty hard in Romans uh, towards the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And, and I think it'll help us kind of answer this question that you've just asked about maintaining uh, you know, the, the law while we have a spirit of forgiveness. Exactly. Um, so in, in Romans chapter 1, Paul gives, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but towards the end, Paul gives, starting in uh, kind of verse 26 there, a whole list of sins that people are committing. And he starts out with one that's just like in your face, and it's homosexuality. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people go to that and say, that's the point of this passage, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. And so Paul kind of continues on, and he goes down through some other sins here, such as um, envy and, and, and strife, God-haters, and he gets down to even the little children who disobey their parents in verse 30. And then in verse 32, he says that all of these sins, down to the little children who disobey their parents, all of these things uh, deserve death. Hmm. And so then, when we get to chapter 2, he says a really, really in-your-face statement. You, therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. Mm -hmm. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And you say, whoa, 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 I'm not a murderer. I, I'm not a homosexual. I'm not uh, full of envy or, or deceit or all these different mm -hmm. things. But Paul is saying, I gave you a huge list here. And the bottom line is, you are guilty of one of them. Mm -hmm. So I think the best way to maintain the, the, the law, the high standards of the law, which I think is the phrase that you used, uh, and maintain a spirit of forgiveness, is you have to start out by realizing, I'm not better than you. Right. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. I have no room to judge you. Yeah. And once you do that, you have no option but to stop in judging somebody else and treat them with a spirit of forgiveness. Oh, yeah. And, and I, think that's the, I think that is the entire um, reason why we have this idea even of outcasts. Yeah. Because somehow I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. Ty, you made a great point. What we can do, yeah. if, if somebody is, is doing something wrong, if, if I know somebody who is doing something wrong and he's or her or she is, a, is my friend, mm -hmm. my personal friend, and I have access to say something. Mm -hmm. What I would do is I would go to that person and I would talk to him and say, look, um, uh, brother or sister, this is not good. And I don't want, to, I don't want you to, to be like that. Not because I'm rejecting you, but I want you to be in the right path. Mm -hmm. So, and then what do you do? You try to help that person. If we focus on helping people, because many times, well, some people will do things that we will make us the wrong because they don't have instruction. So we go and instruct them. Now, some people may, may, may know what is wrong and what is right. They may still do the wrong because they don't have strength. So we pray with them. We help them. We support them. We take them along the way. Mm -hmm. They may still leave the church, whatever, but I still continue praying for them. I should pray even for my enemies. Why, am, why, why not pray for my friends in the church, even if they are doing something that is wrong? And then I try to help people because there's other people who are not even in the church. Now, mm -hmm. I'm walking in the streets and, and then you will see all kinds of things. And what do you do then? These people, they need help. And we have, I think, that with the gospel, we have the key to set people free. So why not just go there and set them free? Because there's power in, the prayer, in, in praying to Jesus to set people free. And instead of uh, just uh, making people outcasts, let's bring them and pray for them 
and help them to, to go on, I think. And I absolutely agree with what he's saying. And yeah. one of the ways that I think that can that can really be powerful is when we admit even our own weaknesses okay. to those mm -hmm. people that we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. I remember yeah, sure. as, a, as a young teenager in, in my home church uh, back in Washington State, the pastor got up and, and he told what was really quite a humorous story, but was very serious about a temptation that he had wow. when, when a, a, a pornography magazine ended up in his mailbox. Hmm. And he shared this, this struggle that he had with what to do with that magazine. And he told it in a way that was, to this day, I, I laugh when I think of the story because it was so funny. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I realized that day that, that my pastor was a human being who struggled with the same kinds of temptations, maybe a different exact type of temptation, but he struggled with temptations in the same way that I do. Same mm -hmm. way that you do. Right. And all of a sudden, this guy that I looked up to as a, as a very godly figure in my mm -hmm. life became a real human being, mm -hmm. which made me respect him you know, even more and made me want to strive more to, to follow uh, the way that Christ has for us. Wow. wow. Yeah, I think Jesus said it best. If you've never sinned, to cast the first stone. <laughs> That's right. It's just so easy to point a finger, uh, but you have four fingers pointed back at you. It's just simple simply put uh, these were great illustrations I you know we have to be careful we have to be careful because it's a testimony I mean something so simple as uh, having I well we need to be more impartial to uh, our decisions I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully but right. the point of the matter f uh, 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 the, the matter of the fact is this every opportunity that we have we have to be a living testimony and sometimes it's not based on what we do, but what we do not do. You know, it's not always using the law to, to, to I don't, I rebuke or repute, uh, reproof, like 2 Timothy says. But we need to know when to be forgiving, loving, gentle. All of these fruits of the spirits that Jesus portrayed because he knew that this was the best way to show his message of the Father. And uh, we have to be very careful, you know, and, and that's the message we need to preach. So I want to ask you this. How can we balance living according to the Bible in a world of brokenness without seeming sanctimonious? Where's the balance? Because there is a need for the law. And I think there's a need for what you were saying about the reproof and the rebuke at some point in time or another. In fact, I think there are many times when there's need for that. But again, going to those words of Paul in, in Romans chapter 2, any time that you pass judgment on somebody, which a rebuke is a passing of judgment it is, uh, yeah, to some degree true. or another, however you want to look at it, it is a judgment. But whenever you pass judgment on somebody else, you are passing judgment on yourself. And if you're guilty of the same thing, that's not a pretty place to be in when you're passing judgment on somebody else. Oh, yeah. So uh, I think there's room for, for rebuke. Uh, it's biblical, of course, like you just mentioned. Uh, but you have to be careful well, how, how how you, you do, do it, it. Yeah. and and what issues you take up. Yeah, you know, if you're dealing with a particular sin in your life and you see it in somebody else's life, you probably ought to work on yourself before you go to that brother or sister hmm. and start telling them they got to work on something. You know, the the splinter in somebody else's eye versus the plank in your own eye type thing. <laughs> one one thing you can do is. I think that if you make it ev evident, if you make it clear that you really love that person, I think that's a key word. If you really love that person, mm. I think you want, you want to somehow 
point that person to that problem and help that person. Okay. Uh, like if you have a son and this son is doing something wrong, you are telling that son, come here. They, they, this is wrong. I mean, and let's figure it out, mm. this out and let's solve this. So if you really love that person, you mm -hmm. are going to come together and you are going to show the thing because sometimes people are doing things that they don't perceive it. And if you don't say anything, they're going to become outcasts. And now you are guilty because you never told anything. Yeah. And the guys over there, I didn't know about this. Yeah. So you go, you sit with that person, and you share. And you follow the biblical example. Instead of going to the church and, hey, you know, Brandon is doing this, 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 and that. No, I go, hey, Brandon, come, come here. And then we talk together. And then we pray together. And we struggle together. And we wrestle together. And then we're going to win together. Yeah. I strongly believe that God can lead us to victory if we go together. I think the problem is... Sometimes we want to rebuke people, but let them on their own. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because there's a way, maybe not the word rebuke, I don't know. I mean, forgive me for my uh, okay. little vocabulary. <laughs> but there's a way to show the person his or her mistake and still be loving, showing that you have an interest not only to show the mistake, but to lead to the victory. And that's the point, leading people to the victory. I also think that when it comes to telling people about the Word of God, you need to come to people on their own level. Mm -hmm. You can't just mm -hmm. have a perspective of, I'm, I'm, you know, higher than you or all this. You need to come to people at their own level. When you think of evangelists and how they reach crowds, they don't say stories that they don't know about. They say stories that apply to their lives directly. Mm -hmm. And that's an act of love. When you're showing interest in somebody and you're saying, hey, I understand where you're coming from. Like, I'm from Chicago. If an evangelist came to me and said something about the Bahamas or whatever, or, you know, Brazil, I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I, if you said something about Chicago, how things are going wrong, I would be so drawn to that person because they're coming to my level. And it's an act of love that you're showing an interest in what I'm doing. And Jesus drew people, you know, people were drawn towards him because of the fact that he would appeal to people on their level and point out their flaws when he got to know them, not before. So when it comes to reaching out to people, like you said, don't judge and rebuke when necessary. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit will lead you to that. But you need to meet people where they're at before you start leading them somewhere else. Hmm. Well, we know that outsidedness is not in the dictionary. It's in the unabridged dictionary itself. Mm -hmm. But are there any examples in the Bible where we see where outsidedness was actually great for self-evaluation? I mean, I've seen people thrive at their best. Mm -hmm. when they were considered outcasts. They were, mm -hmm. were, were literally left to die, and there was victory in it. You have stories with David. You have many stories in the Bible where you see that people were at their lowest point. The, the despair that people go through when they're not accepted by society because they're buried, buried off, mm -hmm. or you know, there's a barrier that's created. I mean, but yet they thrive. You I mean, God is so good that we can still thrive even when... We're considered as outcasts. Mm -hmm. I believe sometimes we're able to self-evaluate because we have to say to ourselves, what is it that they perceive or what is it that they don't like about me or how can I be better? Now, I'm not talking about peer pressure. I'm talking about self-evaluation because usually sometimes, just sometimes, this outsideness occurs because we did something wrong right. and people refuse to accept it in terms of the law. Usually you're considered an outside or outsider if you've done something wrong that's against the norm. It's if not you commit crimes and stuff. Exactly, you know. exactly, exactly. Because here's the truth. Um, how many 
parents in the church would feel comfortable if they knew that there were murderers <laughs> sitting amongst the pews of their children or other individuals that committed various crimes. Mm -hmm. You understand? I'm sure you're starting to understand what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. I'm getting caught up because I'm getting excited because when I think about this, we can go into such depth. But I don't want to stray away because we want to focus on how we can help heal the brokenness of any society. Right. Can you tell me, any of you, how can we use this and help heal the brokenness of society? I think it was already uh, mentioned, but I, I know one of the things that uh, would really work poorly for me is if somebody, uh, as I was walking down the street, uh, maybe they had met me a couple of times mm -hmm. and they knew something about me that wasn't quite right. And they just walked up to me and they said, Ty, this is wrong. You've got to fix it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work for me. That's not gonna. That's not gonna help me at all. In fact, that's very condemning. You know, it's kind of in your face. Here's what's wrong with you. Right. But when my best friend comes up to me and says, "Ty, uh, I've perceived something about you." I had a friend of mine who came up to me once. This is several years ago now, and said, "Ty, you really take things too personally." Now, if it had been anybody Maybe else, I probably yeah. If it had been anybody else, I probably would have wanted you know, to, to pop him one. But. But my buddy came up to me and he said, Ty, you take things a little personally, you know, have you ever thought about that? And because I knew that this friend of mine loved me yeah. and cared about me and wanted to see me grow as an individual, I really took that to heart. And I began to evaluate, like you were saying, that self-evaluation, well, what am I doing that, that isn't quite right? But it, it was only possible because I knew that this guy loved me and he cared about me and he wanted to, it was a redemptive way yes. of approaching me not a condemning way. And I think that's crucial. So when we're trying to, when we're trying to work with these so-called outcasts and we're trying to show them something, uh, you can't do it in that, that word that you use, that sanctimonious way where, hey, I'm better than you because that's yeah. very condemning and that makes people just shut off. You don't want to talk to those kinds of people. Yeah. But when you build a relationship and they love you and you love them and they know that you love them, they want to listen and you have a lot more influence yeah. in that kind of a setting. Yeah. Yeah, actually... I also think that when you're relating to people, you have to ask yourself the question, what is my intention? Am I trying to glorify myself, mm. help this person out, or am I glorifying God? Mm. If you're not glorifying God, what's the point of talking to the person? Exactly. Why would you reach out to them? People don't know when you're not genuinely coming up to them. Mm. They know. So when you are approaching somebody, like you said, if somebody saw you and, and they loved you and all that, you have to approach them with acts of love, and you can't... If I was doing something for self-glorification, say, for example, oh, I had my ears pierced a while ago and I took them out because I knew it was wrong. But the person who came to me before I was in the church and when I was younger and all that, they said, out of love, please take your earrings off. And I understood that. Now, if some random person came up to me and said that, well, I was, I, it would have been a little, my reaction would have been different, like you said. But she didn't say it out of, oh, I'm, I'm higher than you, so I'm saying this for my own self. Mm -hmm. She said it out of love. And you have to think about when you ask questions, what is the what is the consequence and what is my action really saying to this person? It's just so condensed. This has just been great. Um, I think we learned a lot and I just want to say thank you for participating with this discussion. Mm -hmm. I hope you guys have a good time and mm -hmm. hope to see you again. Okay. And if you would like to join in the discussion, visit our Facebook page off the link of our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot org. For Sabbath School University, I'm Brendan Albury. We'll see you next week. <laughs>